The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. With everything that's going on in the Middle East, one item has been overlooked by much of the world, but it might just be one of the most significant prophetic developments since the founding of the Jewish state in 1948. Israel is preparing for and anticipating that Levitical priests might be about to resume temple sacrifices in Jerusalem with or without a temple building. So what do these headlines tell us about the lateness of the hour? And how should Bible-believing Christians react to these headlines? Hello, I'm Christine Darg. Recently, I've been reporting to you how Israel's ancient religious high court, called the Sanhedrin, has been resurrected in their lifetime and is certainly part of Bible prophecy being fulfilled. The reemergence of the Sanhedrin is a fascinating development and one necessary to the law in a Jewish state. The Sanhedrin was most famous in history for conducting the trial that condemned Jesus. But now that the Sanhedrin has been reestablished and is in the news again, all prophecy watchers should take a great interest in the Sanhedrin's edicts and activities. Rabbi Chaim Richman is international director of Jerusalem's Temple Institute. The institute was founded in 1987 to fulfill the vision and mission of bringing about a third temple in fulfillment of Bible prophecy. So you can understand the reaction to two recent headlines is of great interest to all prophecy watchers. The first announcement was that the Temple Institute had established a training school for Levite priests in preparation for the Third Temple. A group of carefully chosen Orthodox men has been selected for this task. The second headline suggests that temple services could be carried out at short notice. No Levitical sacrifices have been possible since the Second Temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. The Temple Mount has since been controlled through the centuries by the Byzantine Empire Crusaders, the Umayyad Caliphate, the Islamic Ottoman Turkish Empire, the British Mandate, and later under Jordanian supervision. In spite of the fact that Israel conquered East Jerusalem in 1967 during the lightning Six-Day War and captured the Temple Mount from Jordan, this hotly contested real estate is still administered by the Wach, a Jordanian Muslim religious authority. The Wach has imposed ever stricter rules that non-Muslims are forbidden from praying at the site and visitation by Jews is limited with many restrictions. Well, in the news, there has been plenty of information and photos about Israeli Rabbi Baruch Kahana offering the Omer, the barley sacrifice to God, in the heart of the old city of Jerusalem. 
The Sanhedrin had proposed Rabbi Kahana for the position of Rosh Kohanim, head of the priest. That is a role with biblical precedent because it's often but not always synonymous with the office of the high priest. Rabbi Kahana was unwilling to step into that role for the moment. Part of his responsibility to date has been to participate in prophetic reenactments, such as the Passover sacrifice. And the rabbi has also been involved in establishing a school to educate the Kohanim, the priests, in their biblical duties. Even talking about the appointment of a high priest is controversial. If political conditions should change overnight, allowing the Jewish people sudden access to the disputed Temple Mount complex, Israel's religious leaders would be required by Torah law to instigate sacrifices. So Rabbi Kahana was quoted as saying that he's confident if conditions changed in favor of religious Jews, temple service could begin in less than one week. Well, that's a breathtaking statement when you think about it. Well, there's a conflict because the Christian faith affirms the final sacrifice for sins has already been accomplished nearly 2,000 years ago by Jesus the Jewish Messiah, on the altar of the cross of Golgotha, Calvary, in Jerusalem. Therefore, from a theological point of view, many Christians just don't understand why the Jewish people are insisting on returning to this sacrificial system that was destroyed when the Romans sacked Jerusalem in 70 AD. And because they haven't studied Bible prophecy, Many Christians don't understand why God is allowing all of this to take place, encouraging it and allowing it to be rehearsed again in preparation for the future. You see, Christians know that the blood of Jesus is in heaven, secure on the mercy seat there for atonement. In the New Testament, in the important book of Hebrews, chapter 9 and verse 12, there's a verse that declares, by his own blood, he, that is Jesus, entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Amen. Although we believe the final sacrifice has been made and Messiah's blood has even been secured forever in the heavens, nevertheless, the Jewish people will pick up again from where God left off with the nation of Israel Nearly 2,000 years ago, we're living in exciting days. You see, the prophet Daniel's prophesied 70th week of years allotted to Israel for the completion of sin and sacrifices is still yet to be played out on God's timeline. So the revival of the Jewish temple and the Levitical priesthood is all part of God's end time plan which I will continue to explain in this program. But first, I want to tell you about a statement by Rabbi Hillel Weiss, who is spokesman for the recently revived Sanhedrin, the Jewish court. He explained why the Jewish people believe that it's necessary in high time to start thinking about and preparing and selecting a high priest, even in the absence of a temple facility. 
He stated that we don't need a miraculous occurrence like the sudden appearance of a temple descending from heaven onto the Temple Mount in Jerusalem to make this decision relevant. He said the only obstacle preventing the temple service today is the political issue. But if that should suddenly change, as it very well could, we would be required, he said, to begin the temple service immediately. Therefore, he said, it's necessary that we have a candidate prepared to fill the role of the high priest, especially now that the Kohanim, the whole priesthood, are being prepared to serve in the temple. Well, the founder and head of the Temple Institute, Rabbi Yisrael Ariel, is also a member of the Sanhedrin. And he insists that it's necessary under Levitical law in the Torah for the Sanhedrin to appoint a Kohen Gadol, a high priest. Rabbi Ariel said, it's not even a matter of opinion. He said the requirement is written explicitly in the Torah and just like any of the other commandments written in the Hebrew Scriptures, he said they have to choose a Kohen Gadol and make all the preparations regardless of whether there's a temple standing in Jerusalem right now. Well, Rabbi Kahana also said that the Jewish priests need to be prepared and have everything ready as if on standby. They don't want to be caught off guard should God present the opportunity. Rabbi Kahana was asked how much preparation time it would take to begin sacrifices if the political scenario suddenly became favorable. The rabbi answered that if the government gave permission, it would only take a few weeks to make preparations, even to perform a solemn service such as for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. His next statement was something I've thought about many times as a possibility. And so to hear a man steeped in Jewish halakha, the legal religious practices, talk about these things is startling and tells us how quickly end-time Bible prophecy could unfold. He said the structures can be temporary and prepared almost overnight, even before a third temple is constructed. In the meantime, the biggest obstacle has been to bring the priesthood up to speed. Rabbi Kahana is also reported to have said that once the priests are thoroughly trained, choosing a high priest and teaching him what he needs to know for, for example, the Yom Kippur service is relatively simple and would take about a week. The spokesman Rabbi Weiss noted that the Omer wave offering has already been reenacted, as well as the giving of the Kohanim's portions from the sacrificial offerings. Those instructions are found in the Torah in Deuteronomy chapter 18. In all of its efforts to bring the temple into reality again, the Temple Institute has brought the third temple one step closer by establishing a school for Jewish priests, the Kohanim, in order to learn how to perform the temple service. The school is therefore called the Kohanic Institute. A group of students certified as being from the priestly caste 
is currently learning various practice drills for divine service in anticipation of the temple. These rehearsals include the daily tamid service, the water libation, the Passover offering, and the twin loaves offering that's held during the holiday of Shavuot. These are just some of the drills and rehearsals that they are continuing throughout the annual cycle of the Hebrew calendar's sacred seasons. The Temple Institute sincerely believe that they are to service the nation of Israel and ultimately the entire world. So it's truly groundbreaking that there's now a registry of the Kohanim, that list of men who have a definite patriarchal heritage from the priestly class going all the way back to Aaron. But in addition to having priestly heritage, they also have to meet other criteria according to various news reports that I've read. For example, they must have been born and raised in Israel and they must have observed the laws of purity that are incumbent upon the priests. Any of them would be excluded if they had come into proximity with corpses. That means potential priests who were born in hospitals or who have even visited hospitals or who have entered cemeteries would not be eligible. The prohibition against coming into close contact with the dead would eliminate many candidates. And so we may wonder how it would even be possible to find enough candidates. But God in his providence can cause many Kohanim born in the land of Israel to be born at home, away from hospitals, and their parents could have received intuition for their children to be kept away from graveyards and so forth. In the past, we've also reported that the Temple Institute has recreated musical instruments such as silver trumpets and harps, as well as the priestly garments, anointing oil, and vessels that are to be used in sacrificial temple worship. These items may appear to be museum reproductions now, but they're definitely in waiting for future use. The Temple Institute has also been breeding the red heifer, a special cow, which is a Torah requirement to be a sacrifice to provide ashes for purification. While the Temple Institute has a Facebook page and many believers all over the world are now aware that the Temple Institute has also reconstructed the high priest's biblical breastplate that features 12 precious stones, each representing one of the tribes of Israel. And many tourists have their photos taken in Jerusalem's Jewish quarter near the half-ton golden menorah candle stand that will stand one day inside the new temple. Architectural plans for the third temple are also in the waiting. Some of the courses within the new Kohanic Institute to train the Kohanim for temple service include administration of the holy temple, the sacred temple vessels, topography of the disputed temple mount, and the structure of a future temple that's mentioned in the book of the prophet Ezekiel. Now, having discussed these prophetic events, I want to get back to my question at the beginning of the program. 
What does all of this portend for the last days? And how should Bible-believing Christians view these developments in Israel? Well, Jesus said that when we begin to see these prophecies being fulfilled, we should look up for we know that our redemption is drawing nigh. But unfortunately, many professing Christians make the tragic mistake of misunderstanding the signs of the times and even writing off the Jews, believing that their practices are antiquated and falsely assuming that God was finished with the Jews and all of that after Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. They point out that the New Testament makes it very clear that Jesus is our high priest in heaven who is always making intercession for us. So why would another high priest or a temple ever be necessary? These are all important questions. So I want to give you a quick overview to understand the links between sacrifices of the Jewish priesthood and the sacrifice of Jesus. First of all, we have to understand how the first high priest was chosen. God himself selected the high priest. It wasn't a decision of man or of Moses, but of God Almighty himself. In God's selection of Aaron and his sons to be the priesthood is recorded in the Torah in the book of Exodus. And in the New Testament, in the important book of Hebrews, we're told that Jesus is in heaven right now, working for us as high priest for anyone who will call upon his name for salvation. And so now we have to think like a rabbi for a moment and ask the question, how can Jesus be our high priest since many falsely assume that he doesn't have the proper credentials? Or does he? Most Christians at least hopefully know that Jesus was descended from the tribe of Judah. But all Jewish priests are supposed to come from the tribe of Levi, correct? Well, a brother in Jerusalem named Richard Onoroff has written many books on Messianic prophecies. And one of his online books concerns the genealogy of Jesus. Yeshua is Jesus' Hebrew name. And Richard decries the fact that Yeshua's ancestry is not taught from both the house of David and the house of Aaron, coming through his mother, Mary. You see, through Mary, our Lord Jesus is also descended from the Aaronic priesthood family of Zadok, the first high priest in Solomon's temple, besides Jesus being from the royal family line of King David. So today, in the 21st century, an important aspect of the genealogy of our Lord is still not being fully taught to the world. Jesus was born the fulfillment of two family lines, that of King David, but also that of high priest Zadok of Aaron. You see, according to the writer of the Gospel of Luke, Mary was a relative of Elizabeth, who was wife of the Levitical priest Zechariah who was himself part of the lineage of Aaron and so of the tribe of Levi. Because his mother was a virgin, Jesus had no earthly father. That means he could never have been an Aaronic priest in the normal sense because the priesthood was passed from father to son. However, Yeshua ultimately has been made high priest by the prerogative of his father in heaven. Furthermore, the Bible teaches that 
Yeshua, Jesus, is the head of a superior priesthood after the order of a mysterious biblical character named Melchizedek. So the Bible has more than one legitimate priesthood, and one order is superior to the other. The Bible, in fact, claims that Melchizedek, or Melchizedek in English, that his priesthood is superior to Aaron's priesthood. The prophecy of Jesus as a priest in the order of Melchizedek is a quotation from the Messianic Psalm 110. In this beautiful psalm, the Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for my feet. And verse 4 says that the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Well, when we compare Jesus to the high priest of Israel, we also have to note that he was chosen by God and he had no personal sin. Because he was sinless and he was offering himself as a sin offering, he defeated the chains of sin and death. When we study the priestly order of Melchizedek, it's necessary also to read Hebrews chapter 7. And, and I'm going to look at the first three verses as I explain that this mysterious person, Melchizedek, is first mentioned in the book of Genesis. And it says that he was king of Salem and also priest of the Most High God. In Genesis chapter 14, Melchizedek met God's friend, the patriarch Abraham, the father of faith. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe, a tenth of everything. The name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and his other title, king of Salem, means king of peace. Does that remind you of anybody? Well, the record in the Bible says that Melchizedek was also without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, thus resembling the Son of God. He remains a priest forever. This mysterious man, Melchizedek, king of righteousness, was unique because he was both a king and a priest. And that is a type of the uniqueness of Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek because he is both priest and our king. Hebrews chapter 7 teaches us the principle that a greater person blesses a lesser person. You see, Melchizedek blessed Abraham, not the other way around. Also, look who Abraham paid his tithe to. He paid his tithes to Melchizedek. There was an order established there of the greater and the lesser. So the writer of the book of Hebrews thinks like a rabbi and was probably the apostle Paul. He suggests that Abraham's great-grandson, Levi, paid his tithe to Melchizedek rather than the usual priestly order of the tithe being paid to Levi because Levi was in the loins of his great-grandfather, Abraham, when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. And because Melchizedek didn't die, his priesthood is superior 
to Aaron's priesthood. Therefore, the book of Hebrews teaches that not all priests of God will come through Levi. But it takes revelation to realize that Jesus is a high priest of a different and higher order. You see, God is bigger than the proverbial box. The mysterious priest king Melchizedek is a type of Jesus, a priest king of superior attributes. Well, the Jewish people of today, on the whole, haven't yet received this revelation about Jesus being a descendant of both King David and the high priest Aaron, as well as being a risen high priest after the superior but perfectly biblical order of Melchizedek. However, their lack of revelation concerning the Melchizedek priesthood at this point doesn't negate their sincere faith efforts to reinstate the Aaronic priesthood and the temple. God is allowing all of this Kohanic activity to be reinstated so that Bible prophecy will be fully fulfilled before Jesus returns. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 that the man of sin, that's an alias for the Antichrist, will desecrate a third temple. That means the Jewish temple will have to exist again. Paul prophesied that the man of sin will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he dares even to set himself up in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Note that the verse says that the temple is God's temple that the Jews will build, not the temple of the Antichrist, even though he will desecrate it. Paul's explanation proves that God is ultimately behind the building of the third temple, but it will be due to a desecration and abomination that will cause events to unravel and the Jewish people will be betrayed by the false Messiah, the Antichrist. And then the true Messiah will finally be revealed to Israel from heaven. Hallelujah! Yeshua is coming. In the meantime, are you glad that Jesus holds the office of high priest in heaven? Jesus has everlasting life, so he is interceding for us 24-7. When you call upon him, he's always available and always accessible to the throne of God, where he's seated at God's right hand. The question now remains, would you like Jesus to be your high priest who will save you from your sins? wash you with his blood, and intercede for you at the right hand of the Father on high? If your answer is yes, the time to ask him into your life is Lord, Savior, Physician, and High Priest is right now. You see, on the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter preached to the people, Be saved from this corrupt generation, and never have those words sounded more relevant. How can we be saved from this corrupt generation? Well, the Bible says that if you will believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. In the meantime, we'd like to stay in touch, and that's possible through social media and also by visiting our website at exploits.tv where you can click online to receive our free ministry newsletter, Exploits. At our website, you can also learn details about our next prayer convocation 
in the Holy Land. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom. Our ancestors knew their Bible. This medieval map from about 1300 shows the known world, and at the very center is the holy city of Jerusalem. Today, Jerusalem is still the apple of God's eye. It's from Jerusalem that Jesus commanded the word of the Lord should go forth into all the world. That witness is what the Jerusalem Channel is all about. It's only through the support of you, the viewers, that we can continue to bring video teachings and daily website updates of what God is doing in these last days. For viewers in the United States, our ministry is tax-deductible, and in the UK we're a registered charity to qualify for gift aid. You can make a credit card donation through our secure website or by check to our postal addresses in the US and UK. Please help us to continue and expand this outreach of the gospel through the Jerusalem Channel.